0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. We're here in Auckland returning on the 23rd of November to talk this week in cricket. We've got India New Zealand T20s, the Tim Payne Cricket Australia Sago, WBBL semi finals, Mushfiqur Rahim, the ICC event schedules announced, and the great AB De Villiers retires. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, Bordie, I let you open the show a couple of weeks ago with Australian glory. I'm going to have to come to you and let you have opening rights on what Richie Benno might describe as a bit of a schmozzle with Tim Payne and the Cricket
1: Australia board. Bordie, over to you. Three words, gentlemen. In poor taste. This whole incident has been in poor taste in my view. Let's talk about Tim Payne first of all. The man has made a mistake. He has got himself involved in an incident that was reflected poorly on himself. It's unfortunately drawn another woman and his family into an incident that I'm sure they'd rather not be a part of and has drawn that saga out thanks to some management by Cricket Australia, which we'll get to shortly over a long period of time. Tim Payne has reflected on this issue and obviously has severe regret both at the time it should be said and also now if 2021 has taught me anything it's that humans are capable of making mistakes and it doesn't matter how senior you are or how big a role model you are we are all humans and we all make mistakes this is a pretty big one on tim payne's behalf in terms of an error in judgment let's just say at this point also that we don't know all the facts in this scenario we don't know really whether or not those text messages were consensual. Cricket Australia's investigation has said that they were, but we don't know that for certain because we don't have all the facts to hand. So as at 23rd of November, we have been told that those exchanges were consensual, but we don't have both parties aligning or, or being able to provide evidence of that being the case. So we have to go with the facts that are on offer at the moment what we do know is that tim Payne has made a pretty severe error in judgment at that time and that cricket australia found him to be not in breach of their code of conduct cricket australia have in my view compounded the issue by electing him captain in an era and at a time where australia needed to hold their cricketers to a high as high a standard as they possibly could in my view and this is just my view Cricket Australia made an error in judgment also in electing to make Tim Payne the captain of the Australian team on the back of a cultural issue in in South Africa, in Cape Town. Around about the same time, Cricket Australia would have known about this issue and continued to make him captain as a result. Regardless of whether or not the exchange was private between two consenting adults, it does raise the question of whether or not Tim Payne should have retained captaincy of the side in light of a cultural revolution or picking up the pieces whatever you want to call it that Australian cricket were trying to rebuild their test side and you knew that this person had this issue that could have come out at any time over the last three years it turns out that it's come out now, in the lead up to a test series against England at the back end of Tim Payne's test career. But this issue could have come out any time in the last three years, you know? Um, and the real disappointing thing for me is Cricket Australia has elected to continue to make him captain. um they've they've not so much swept it under the rug, but they've assessed in their, review that tim payne has not breached the code of conduct and was therefore um, perfectly within his rights to continue captaining the side in my view he may not have breached the code of conduct but in light of the let's just call it the cultural revolution that australian cricket were trying to go through the fact that cricket australia have seen it fit for him to maintain captaincy of that side under that guise of cultural revolution doesn't sit well with me at all and I'll, I want to throw it over to you guys. I mean, outside of Australia, what do you guys think of, of this particular issue, Stu? Uh,
2: it's just a, just weird. What a weird few months for Australian cricket. You've gone from uh, before the T20 World Cup uh, for the for this men's side where they were completely written off. Justin Langer had lost the dressing room and all this kind of stuff was going on. Then they win the World Cup. Everyone's sort of a hero again, and then a week later, this all this stuff all comes out, and and now you've got Tim Payne doing you know magazine stories saying Justin Lange wanted him to stay on as captain. It's all yeah, it's all just really weird to me. And I, I mean I, I like I mean it's clearly Tim Payne has, has overstepped the mark with some of the things in those messages. But I yeah I agree sort of tend to agree with you that Cricket Australia is the one that comes out looking the worst for me. when you know in that, all that cultural shift and elite honesty and you know it just kind of undermines all that so yeah it's it's all just a bit strange if you ask me
0: boys I I don't disagree with any of the sentiments around Cricket Australia probably needing to have taken a different view I think I saw Mark Taylor who was on the board of Cricket Australia at the time in a pretty uncomfortable Channel 9 panel show where he was uh, essentially interviewed about this and one of the points he made was you know it's great with four years hindsight to say that they'd have made a different decision but was it Payne's no pun intended to make the point that um, the Cricket Australia board that's currently in situ whilst their recommendation said you know if we'd have known this information we'd have made a very different decision um, Tim Payne stood down the Cricket Australia board didn't sack him from the captaincy at this point so you know, they kind of felt morally that strongly about it if they were prepared to negotiate with Tim Payne and let him essentially write a press conference or a press statement that was his exit from the captaincy and a strong um, position that he was going to be available for uh, selection. It's really difficult to, to say what I'm about to say, given, you know, the scenario. But I think when we expect this of our sportsmen, we're always going to be disappointed. We look at some guys that are geniuses on football fields or cricket fields or rugby fields, they're just pretty average blokes. And I think when you expect higher moral standards from average blokes, you're going to essentially be in a position where you probably get this kind of situation. And I, look, I guess that, you know, the, the other element is, you know, he's got an extraordinary ability to catch a sphere traveling at 145 kph. That That's his USP, right? He's a bloody good wicketkeeper. Um, but ultimately he's done something as a, as a human being that he won't really be proud of. And I guess in the the light of day back in 2017-18, his career was over. This was a um, a phoenix from the Flames rising back into Test cricket, having, I think, Bordie made his debut in 2010. So I don't think we can put too much blame on Tim Payne as an individual because he would have just said, well, the HR team and the code of conduct of done their investigation and said I can carry on who's he to then say I oh, actually know um I think I need to you know get a second opinion on this so um I I just feel really sorry for him and and probably his wife and and probably the other woman as well who now have got these wounds um reopened rather uh, rather publicly um but yeah I I guess where to from from here is the question for for Australian cricket
3: well I guess yeah well before we get to that I guess I actually tend to agree with a lot of what all of you have said, actually, B- bits of bits of it. Um, but I just I I can't get past how Cricket Australia got themselves into this situation, because in reality, we've had Tim Payne stand down. But really, there was no other option. Cricket Australia could not sack him because they reinstated or they instated him, knowing what he had done. So they couldn't get rid of him once that became public. Uh, and then they didn't want that to be a part of the whole circus that was mm. the ashes that's about to start. So they really got themselves into a situation where, where they couldn't get out of it without saving face, mm. apart from getting Tim Payne to, to stand down. What he does off the field is not a massive, uh, a massive worry of mine, uh, but... when when he has positioned himself as there are numerous articles that if you look back, especially around the time that he was um, made captain where they're talking about how they're doing they're now going to check themselves on and off the field and there's a great quote here where I've got from him saying if you can ask yourself the question, am I making my fellow Australians proud and that answer is a yes, then we're on the right track, so I don't know if they are on the right track, if if that's the quote that we're going to go with Um, but look, I think let's move away from that. What what he's done is poor. What Cricket Australia have done is even worse in terms of uh, governance and management perspective. What do we think about uh, the next keeper? Does he hold his position for the Ashes now? I'll I'll go to you, Baldy, or is there someone else on the horizon? Well, in my view, Tim Payne's, what,
1: 36, 37. This was probably going to be his last test summer, you would think, in charge of the Australian team. And if he's not the captain... And he's 37 years of age is he the future for australian cricket i say no i say that tim payne if he's not test captain i don't think is the right choice for australia to move forward with their test cricket so let's have a look at some of the candidate players that could replace him you've got alex carey 30 years of age has played one day international cricket i think he's actually captained australia in one day international cricket from memory um has played one day international cricket before has performed pretty well in that format even though he was left out of the t20 world cup You've got the guy that replaced him in the T20 World Cup in Josh Inglis, Western Australian player, 26 years of age, uh, doesn't always keep for Western Australia, but when he does, he does a really, really good job. And then you've got guys coming from the clouds. You've got someone like Jimmy Pearson from Queensland, who we'll we'll get to, Binksy, who's performed very, very well in the last couple of Shield seasons and is a very good wicketkeeper. You've got Josh Philippe. Uh, who's played for the sydney thunder Uh, again very very good wicketkeeper and and also fellow western australian uh he's right there in the mix as well and we can't forget another couple of senior statesmen in um in Neville and also Matthew Wade. Now, Matthew Wade was the incumbent number five for Australia in the last test match that we played. He played a really, really good role in the T20 World Cup, helped Australia win that and wore the gloves in that format. So he's a candidate. And of course, Neville is the New South Wales wicketkeeper and by virtue of his sky blue cap, he'll be right up there at the pointy end of the conversation as well. So plenty of players for Australia to choose from. If you ask me, I would be going with either Kerry or Inglis. Carey is 30. He has done the job. He will be a serviceable wicketkeeper for Australia at number seven. um, And when with the gloves moving forward, if you want to really look to the future, then someone like Josh Inglis at the age of 26 will give you at least five, if not ten years in the job and could be a long, long term wicketkeeper for Australia in that format. If the selectors believe that looking to the future is the way to go. I think for this Ashes series, the fact that Alex Carey has done the job before, even if it's in ODI cricket, He will know what to expect at an international standard. He is in good enough form, despite a couple of blips here and there in the, in the state stuff, but he will be able to withstand the pressure both on the field and from the Barmy Army, which I think is not to be understated for some of these guys who haven't played international cricket before, particularly against England. Binksy, you're the expert in wicketkeeping here. Do you want to run your eye over some of those candidates? Does anyone really stand out there from your point of view? Mate, I don't know
0: whether I'm the expert on wicket-keeping, but I own a couple of pairs of wicket-keeping gloves and a long sleeve shirt, which is more than I can say for Jimmy Pearson. Um, so that will probably be, for, for me, um, look, jokes aside, the deciding factor, you can't have a guy who's kept wicket in short sleeves anywhere near um, that job as a custodian of Australian wicket-keeping history. I, on a serious note, though, and um, I've got to take, I, I guess, a slightly different point to your body, and it's not just because I always do. But... Um, I don't think the future has anything to do with this. So looking at the ages of um, Jimmy Pearson, looking at the ages of Josh Inglis, if we're picking a keeper for the future, get him in the Australia A side, That that's preparing for the future and giving you an opportunity. You've got test matches um, at the Gabba, the MCG, the SCG, um, Adelaide, and, and hopefully Perth later in the summer. That's the present and the very, very immediate future. And I think you've got to pick your best person um, for that. And... Um, it looks as if Australia have been relatively consistent with their selection. So I don't actually see a bolter of, of a Neville coming into the, the fray, even though Pearson, I think, has had a really, really strong shield season so far. I don't see him coming in. English, I think, got three first-class hundreds last year um, for WA, and that's why he's in that in and around that A setup. If they do make a change, I think it comes from English, uh, English or Kerry. But I would say that Tim Payne, is still your best wicketkeeper. And from a batting perspective, when you look at their respective first-class records, the only thing probably going against Tim Payne is his lack of first-class hundreds. Averages are all within three or four points and he's played some test cricket. So it's telling. I think they haven't changed that 15-man squad just yet. And I think they're trying to ride and see whether or not public opinion um, influences that. The bigger question for me is... Uh, from a captaincy perspective, who's going to take over? Hotly tipped that's going to be Pat Cummins, but is he going to be on the park for five very, very close together Test matches? And what's the contingency plan if he um, trips on a cricket ball, pulls aside, or, or needs a rest? What what's the you know what's the backup plan for for Australia from that perspective?
3: Yeah, I think the the load management perspective there is always going to. Um... Hurt Pat Cummins's um his claim to that that position. I actually think it might actually revert back to to a batsman. Uh, if it's not Pat Cummins, I think he's the leading, he's probably the leading um the front runner there. But I think it could actually be Steve Smith. I just heard a, I just heard a bombshell go off there. But I'll, I'll I'll leave you I'll leave you with that, Stu. What do you think, Steve Smith?
2: Oh, I think it's the natural thing. I think we actually kind of have to. I mean. I guess we've just spent 10 minutes talking about culture, but I actually think we just have to move on from sandpaper gate. And Steve Smith is, if he's welcomed back into the side and he's welcomed to stand at slip and tell Tim Payne what to do anyway, then he should just be the captain because like that's, you know, he, he is the the natural person. If you ask me to, to lead that side, if he's done it before, but I mean, I'm not the one in the dressing room. I'm not the one hearing the people talk, uh, you know, before a game and, and inspire the other the other people in that dressing room. But yeah, Tim, uh, Steve Smith's the one that looks like the natural leader if if, uh, if I was choosing the side.
1: Australia don't have a history of electing fast bowlers as captain. Ray Lindwall was the last one to do it in 1956. Richie Benno, I think, was the last bowler to captain Australia, and that was back in the 60s. So Australia have a long, 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 long history of having batsmen captain the side. I don't have a problem with Pat Cummins' captaining the side if Steve Smith is his vice captain and he continues to do what he was doing for Tim Payne, which was pretty much steer the ship around and give lots of advice from first slip. I think Cummins would benefit definitely from having a guy like Steve Smith as his vice captain who can give him tactical advice and when Pat's thinking about bowling and doing all the things that he's got to do as a fast bowler, Steve Smith can kind of run the show there and then Pat Cummins can do all of the kind of leadership stuff and all the media and all the rest of it. It all very much depends on whether or not Pat Cummins is, is willing and able to deal with all of the extra stress and attention that's going to come with taking over from another difficult captaincy transition. It's not like the Border, Taylor, War, Ponting, Clark transitions that have all been relatively smooth for Australia and on, on and off the field. This is going to be a very difficult time for Pat Cummins to pick up those reins. And is he comfortable doing that? I think will be the question that only he can answer.
2: And look, uh, look, we've we've probably talked about Australia enough for, for my liking uh, on this podcast, but um, there is the WBBL final going on this weekend, and, th- and that gives me a chance to just uh, say that uh, Sophie Devine's Perth Scorchers are, are already qualified for that on Saturday. But bully, you just want to touch a little bit on that and, and what we can expect from that game?
1: Yeah. So the fir- uh, the final four has been decided. The Perth Scorchers finished nine and three. Uh, excellent uh, performance by them. And they look really the favourites to win. They'll get the home final in Perth. Uh, Brisbane will play Adelaide in Adelaide. And then the winner of that game will play Melbourne in Adelaide the following day on the 25th. And then the final will be uh, in Perth against Perth on the, I think that's the 27th. So that would make it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, my explainer is a little bit lacking today. But yeah, congratulations to those teams that, that have made it through. Um, the Brisbane Heat have come through at the right part of the season on the back of Jess Jonathan's 21 wickets and some excellent batting performances as well. But Perth Scorchers look like they're the favourites to take home that title. And Sophie Devine has just been outstanding.
0: Lippi we'll move closer to home. For those of you who probably are still either drowning your sorrows in the black caps um, heartache at the World Cup or Australian um, celebrations may not have noticed that there's been a t20 bilateral series going on in India with the black caps in India um, Lippy you want to give us a little bit of a rundown of, of what's gone on there
2: yeah well uh, I think you've kind of summed up the mood of uh, of that bilateral series and I mean you know, I guess we we stick the boot in about that, but it's I think we have to remember that it, nobody wanted it this way. It was um, you know COVID that intervened in terms of the scheduling, and um, yeah, there's not there's not a lot that those sides could have could have done about it. And um, I I think those games have been treated in that way really. And um, you know, New Zealand's lost all three games, and and really in games that just kind of got progressively more comfortable for India. We um, first game was went down to the final over but uh, yeah I just I don't think anyone in New Zealand I don't think the New Zealand team would be too worried about that to be honest I'm certainly not as a fan you know we won the the most important T20 game against them and, and that was during the World Cup and um, yeah I, I just think uh, all this scheduling stuff it, it's just made for for three games that no one really cares about but I think there are a few things that are worth talking about from that and and probably the first one that I want to do is is that there has been a, a relatively strong performer in that series uh, for us, and that's been Martin Guptill, and he's probably been our most impressive performer, you know, arguably with the bat for the past six or twelve months in, in that format. And and I'm wondering, you know, Baldy, do, do you reckon he's done enough to uh, earn himself another IPL gig? Because I think the knock on him's always been spin. But if we think about what he did to Zampa uh, over here in New Zealand, I really think you could do a lot worse than with two new teams than getting Martin Guptill in the mix.
1: Yeah, expansion's the key, isn't it? Two new franchises moving the IPL out, IPL out to 10 from, from the 2022 edition onwards. And I think Martin Guptil should be right in the mix, absolutely. He doesn't have a contract at the moment. But you just have a look at his last five uh, T20 scores, 51, 31, 70, 28, and 4. So he's still got it. He's still got it. And he's and he's doing that against India in India so any any kind of Martin Guptill can't play spin or, or won't be successful in India he's proven that he can be three big scores in those three matches in losing causes he's absolutely got the credentials for mine to be able to to play in those conditions and I think IPL franchises particularly the two expansion franchises should be considering him at the top of the order
2: brilliant that's the answer I wanted yeah let's let's uh, hope he does get that that gig. I I thought it was really interesting that Kyle Jamieson didn't play any of the games. They obviously picked him in that T20 World Cup squad and he didn't play a game in that squad uh, or in that tournament at all. And then they've chose to keep his focus on the tests. Personally I absolutely love this. I just hope that he doesn't play any T20s in the future. You know he's got this massive IPL contract now so he doesn't have to worry about trying to put his best foot forward for that. He can just Go over, go over to the IPL, work on his skills over there. But for New Zealand, he can just focus on like being the leader of the the next attack, I, I guess, because Trent Bolt, Tim Saudi eventually uh, are going to have to move on, and sadly for you, Raj, Neil Wagner will eventually retire. Um, as much as none of us want that to happen, but what do you reckon, Raj? Because I mean, do you, do you? Would you like to see him essentially become a test specialist at international level?
3: I think so. I, I, I like the fact that he's come storming onto the Red Bull stage and he's actually prolonged it for a little bit. It wasn't really a flash in the pan and, and it comes down to the length that he's been bowling and those are test match lengths. If you have a look um, back through the greats, through the you've got McGrath. Uh, we're going to talk about a man, Vernon Philander, shortly. He'll come up in your feed. Uh bowling those test match lines are incredibly important and he fits into our lineup uh, really well with the uh, with the little bit extra he has in terms of height bounce and a little bit of pace so 100% I want to see him continue to do that red ball stuff and if he's required with the white ball sure then, then let's use him but I think we have other options at the moment who are better suited to the white ball cricket than he is so red ball Kyle Jamison for me
2: Love it. Everyone's agreeing with me. This is fantastic. I've I've got one question for Binksy, and uh, maybe that's where the agreement will end it. It always seems to to be that way. But when I was watching those games, I was just thinking, like, Rohit, Rashad Pant, all these guys, they're resting for the Test Series, but they're playing in these silly T20 games. And I started to feel quite insulted. Like, do do they not rate us as a Test side? We just won the World Test Championship, we've beaten them in a final am i am i nuts to feel insulted about this Pinksy, or am i you know do i just need to calm down here
0: yeah so the, the fact that you throw to me as the last person in the segment probably leads to the fact that i'm going to have the last word on it so I, I think that's more about our production meetings um need a little bit of a revamp rather than anything else but um li- lippy to be honest look i don't i i think that We're in a situation now, Raj made the point um, when we were talking about the evolution of T20 cricket that um, the IPL was, you know, absolutely uh, a better product than international T20 cricket because there'd be several Indian sides that they could have sent to that World Cup of a similar standard. And I think, you know, just maybe India have actually got things right in terms of their rest and rotation and having look an embarrassment of riches to pick from so I, I just actually think that they've got so many options that it's really difficult to probably satisfy a lot of these players international aspirations without having that kind of ability to uh, manipulate and roll um, you know roll squads you only need to look at what they did to england with you know the likes of axar patel who's not going to you know can barely get a game um, outside of that and he burst onto the scene in that series so yeah, I, I don't feel essentially affronted by it if I were you. I think all of us are going to feel the wrath of, of the, the fact that India have just got such strength across all disciplines at the moment. Raj, um, just so that I don't have the, the last um, word in this segment, so please no one throw back to me um, at the end until we flip to the next bit. I know you do want to talk a little bit about that Indian batting um, lineup and what it might look like in that test series.
3: Yeah, again we've, we've come back to the Christmas analogy with uh, too many toys uh, to, to, to choose from here and, and there's a lot of confusion around what that Indian batting lineup's is going to look like and it's that number five spot uh, that everyone is talking about. So the premise is this, they've got KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma who they want to open the batting. So Rohit Sharma has being rested for this series so there is a spot open. Who gets that spot? The question is, is it Gil? Is it, uh, is it Agrawal who gets that spot? What's causing confusion here is that they want Shubman Gill in the side, but where does he fit in that side when they go to South Africa next, when uh, Rohit Sharma comes back? And that's where everyone's starting to talk about him batting at number five. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here and where Shubman – the thinking is where does Shubman Gill fit into this Indian side with a full-strength lineup with Virat Kohli back? uh so th- that's where a lot of confusion is coming from so stay tuned uh, i know you guys just like me will be eagerly looking at their phone once they announce that uh, indian lineup and the new zealand lineup as well but uh, i think we might actually see uh gill betting in the middle order and agarul opening the batting, which is opposite to what i thought would happen in the um in, in the test preview so stay tuned to that
2: Yeah, look, um, and I think for any listeners not, uh, or kind of wondering why we haven't really talked about that test series, because we've done a a preview on the series, uh, just scroll back in your feed and and you should find that. And yeah, super, super excited about that series. And um, I think New Zealand cricket fans were we're about to start getting spoiled with the the amount of cricket that's on. got the the Super Smash starting this Friday as well and and kicking off at Hagley Oval. So yeah, it's going to be... a lot of cricket for New Zealand followers to to watch, and and sort of across all the different channels. Unfortunately, I guess for for those with uh, that don't want to subscribe to a bunch of different things, but uh, luckily for for everyone, the uh, a lot of the Super Smash is free to air on, on TVNZ. So yeah, a lot of a lot of New Zealand stuff to look out for. Raj, going to come to you next
0: for your take on this week in cricket, Mushvika. Rahim, known to be relatively
3: outspoken, and some comments this week that have piqued your interest. Yes, interesting week uh, in the Bangladeshi dressing room and boardroom. It seems so. Uh, the twenty Pakistan Twenty Twenties, which are about to start, don't feature mushrika Rahim in the side, and he's been rested, which is the official party line. But he's come out this week and said that he's he's available. He he is not being rested. He is in fact been dropped. So that's causing a bit of confusion around the world. When um, Captain Mamadoula was asked about it, he said, "Best to ask team management," which I don't know if that's the best thing to do. That's more like pouring fire there on that on that, pouring uh, a bit of pouring a bit of petrol onto that fire, I think. But um, look. Mushfiqur Rahim is going to have to go and talk to the board. They've summoned him to come in yes. and, and talk about this. but look, th- there is a history of uh, unrest at the board level with Bangladesh a couple of years ago. The players went on strike not having um, not getting their paid. And guys like Mushfiqur Rahim who are great batsmen in their own right, really good at that short 2020 game. This is where as we spoke about in the evolution of 20 cricket, we start to see the erosion of some really great players. On their national setups and going to just be mercenaries around the world playing 2020 cricket uh it would be very sad for bangladesh for uh, for them to lose mushrika rahim hopefully we won't see that back to you in the studio bingsy well we are a new zealand
0: cricketing podcast um we don't often talk about the ab's but we are going to talk um, about an ab and that's ab de Villiers, who's announced his retirement from all forms of cricket And, Balder, you've got
1: a little bit of a tribute and a teaser all in one. Yeah, sad to see A.B. de Villiers retire this week. An RCB challenger for life, a veteran of 114 tests, of course, for South Africa, 8,700 runs, averaged 50 in test cricket, averaged 53. 53 and a half in 228 one-day internationals for his country, 9,500 runs, 25 ODI hundreds, can you believe? An, An incredible career for AB Defilias. Of course, 340 domestic T20s averaged 37 and struck at 150. This guy is a legend of South African cricket, a legend of domestic T20 cricket. His record is unbelievable. 9,400 domestic T20 runs in those three in those 340 games. Unbelievable record. He of course goes out a winner uh, with RCB. Um, Just an absolute winner on every level. Might not have got the trophy and the silverware to go with it, but he's an absolute winner in my book, and he'll come up very soon on the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame. Stay tuned.
0: Well, that's a nice place to wrap up the podcast. Um, A shame a legend of New Zealand cricket, Martin Crowe, couldn't get onto that list, but we can tease to you, of course, um, the AB comes up in a couple of weeks' time. Do stay tuned in the feed for our next episode of the Cricketing Hall of Fame. We hope you enjoyed our evolution of T20 cricket musings as well. We certainly enjoyed recording those over two parts or so. Uh, but for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in.